This show is made possible by you, our listeners. If you like what you hear, and if you want to help us tell more stories and reach more people, then from only two US dollars a month, you can become a patron of the show. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. Hello, I'm Jake Lloyd and welcome to How to Build Community, a podcast and a radio show brought to you by Aruka Network and Tearfund's Footsteps magazine. Now, you've probably heard the saying that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, the World Health Organization says that 10 to 20% of children and adolescents experience mental health conditions of some kind, but the majority do not seek help or receive care. So, in this episode, I'm asking the question, how should a village or a community support the mental health of its young people? And I've been putting this question to experts from around the world. Without mental health, then we are unable to function in any other way. If you want to help young people, help them connect with one another um, and help them connect with significant relationships, maybe in the next stage of life, people who will speak wisdom into them. It doesn't matter if it's professional or not. It matters if it has empathy or not. So over the next 35 minutes, with the help of the voices you heard there and some others, I'm going to take you on a journey around the world, from Kenya to the USA to Guatemala to Iraq. And along the way, I'll be hearing local stories and gaining some wisdom on how a community can help shape the mental health of its young people. And a word before we start, all of my guests today were also contributors to a Footsteps edition about mental health. And they all joined me on a group Zoom call to share with me their stories and their wisdom. So let's start first of all in Kenya. And I'm going to let these two lovely guests introduce themselves. Uh, my name is Vincent Ogutu. I work with Cheshire Disability Services Kenya as uh, the program manager, basically the head of programs in Kenya. My name is Rachel Kitavi. I work with Vincent uh, up until last year. I was implementing a project on psychosocial disability. I actually grew very fond of uh, the, this specific type of a disability and the people who uh, suffer from it. So Vincent and Rachel from Cheshire Disability Services in Kenya. And Rachel mentioned psychosocial disability there, which she and Vincent describe as when a person feels rejected and misunderstood by their communities and the combination of psychological and social pressures result in a level of disability that makes it difficult to carry out day-to-day -day activities. Now, Vincent and Rachel specialise in supporting young people with these psychosocial disabilities. And one way they do this is through talking groups. Basically, they invite young people together who face some kind of mental health challenge and they facilitate conversations between them. And what really interested me from speaking with Rachel and Vincent is that the relatively simple acts of conversation in this group could ripple out into the lives of young people and their community. Here's Rachel explaining more. You know, the people that, the, the support groups are for people with the same kind of a condition. So they have something in common. Either they are taking medication, 
they they have they are persons with mental illnesses, and 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 that also allows them to share the. They can identify with each other's kind of problems that they are going through, so it makes it also kind of easy, you know, when 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 they hear one of them saying, you know, when I took this medication, I really slept like for two days. And then they realize, oh, so it's not just me who sleeps when I take this medication. So now they begin to talk, you know, that kind of a thing. So another one will say, you know, I went to the, I went, I went to get my medication and, and, and I found this chemist that sells them at a, at a cheaper price, you know, because they're also very costly and they don't have jobs. Yeah. So they, they advise one another. So it's a, the support group is one of the places where you can help them gain confidence yeah, with one another and also now learn, learn how to express themselves so that, you know, there's a way you, you, you can express yourself to come out as a person who, who, who knows what they're saying. And there's also a way where, where you can just start talking and people are, they just dismiss you. So once you start to learn how to communicate and express yourself, and how to advocate for what to believe you deserve. And then Vincent told me how these young people, as they share with each other and get better at communicating, start to grow in confidence and they naturally seem to look for ways to have a positive impact on the world around them. Now, unfortunately, Vincent's connection on our call was not very clear, so I'll just play you a short clip, but hopefully you can pick out his three observations about what these discussion groups can help achieve. One, encouraging one another. Two, it became, it became also a place where they would venture into businesses and also a place of accountability because they come back and report on what, how their business are doing and they catch up and appreciate what members are doing. And third, on their own, it became an advocacy vehicle where they organize themselves and they're able to move from schools to workplaces. Vincent's line broke up there, but he explained how it was through talking together like this that young people ended up developing businesses. And they supported each other in these business ventures. And they also became mental health advocates in the place they live, helping to break down the stigma about mental health and making it something people are less afraid to talk about. I was then interested to hear from Rachel. What was the key to making these groups work? First thing is you give them time. I said when we started, they were quiet. Like you'd go for a meeting, you have your agenda. And uh, you come out and you basically just have not achieved much. Until they learn to trust you, they are not going to say anything about their condition because of the way they're treated after that. Yeah? <laughs> That's where I learned to be patient. <laughs> like there was this boy, uh, he's called Ben. <laughs> I met Ben way back in 20. 2017. Ben would just come to the meeting. Uh, my name is Ben. And we would just sit there. He will never say a thing. So towards the end, <laughs> and he would attend every meeting. He would come. He would come faithfully to every meeting up until towards the end of the project. And we had this meeting. And, and, and now 
we were seated in a round table and we wanted to just talk and of course Ben was there so we went round talking and uh, when we got to Ben everybody was like ah if he speaks it's okay if he doesn't it's okay we are used to him not talking so he actually introduced himself again told us the way he's grateful told us the way he has gone to school and, and, and when he got to school they formed this uh, support group, he even told the teacher what he suffers from he, they formed a group and they have been communicating during the time for COVID you know schools were closed but they kept the group going and everybody was like what is that Ben? <laughs> and I actually wanted to go home <laughs> I went to end the meeting and go home because I thought, wow, you mean he talks? He actually talks. <laughs> yeah, so you need to give them time. You just cannot, you can't be in a hurry to, to make them come out. So there's Rachel and Vincent from Kenya, and you'll hear more from them towards the end of this episode. But now let's move on to the Middle East, where I spoke with these two guests about their youth work in Iraq. My name's Carla. I'm from the United States. I am kind of an aid and development generalist. I work in protection um, and education, and most recently in the Middle East, in Iraq. So my name is Samurai George. I grew up in Baghdad, then moved to Mosul, then to Duhok which is in the northern part of Iraq. So I'm a teacher, and also after the crisis in 2014, my attention got more for development and relief. You'll have noticed there that Samer was a little difficult to make out. He was speaking to us from a, a lively cafe in Iraq, but I really wanted to include his contribution because he shared some really helpful observations about the importance of young people in his country having good leaders and good role models. So Carla and Samer work together with Tearfund, where they help to support young people who have had multiple experiences of trauma in their lives as a result of conflict and terrorism. And Carla explained to me how she felt arriving in the country and realising the intensity of trauma that many young people had been through in recent years. When I first went to Iraq in 2015, um, and as a young practitioner, I remember thinking, how will we ever address this? <laughs> These people have been through horrific experiences. But I myself began to learn about psychosocial support and to understand that with the support of a community, family and friends, most people can recover from those bad experiences. So you don't need a psychologist, a psychiatrist, except in very few cases, five to 10%, um, which is quite small, which means the community can activate itself on behalf of those who are suffering um, and really make a tremendous difference. Carla and Samer then told me that they think the young people they support are one of the most neglected sectors of society. They said that the trauma many of them have experienced is such a normal part of life that no one really talks about it. And I know Samer himself has experienced persecution and trauma at the hands of terrorist groups and that he now helps young people to talk about similar experiences. And so I asked him how important it is that these young people have a role model like him who has experienced some of the same things as them. And here's what he told me. It's very important. And I would 
connect this to a one thing, I will say, our leaders and the examples in our country, when they just get to the, to the chair or when they get to the point that they want to reach, all their promises will be gone and he will start thinking about himself. I know some of that is hard to make out, but one thing that is clear is that he sees a real need for better leaders and role models for young people in the country. And he then told me about what better leadership would look like, speaking from his own experience. I have been through all of the hardships, but when I get to the point that I will be a responsible and a leader, so that's when I said, like, serving others, loving them, thinking about their needs more than my needs, this is what will make the change. And also changing from self-serving leadership to a servant leadership. Samir told me there how he has been through the same hardships as the young people he serves and that when he finds himself in a position of leadership, he's determined to continue to serve others as opposed to himself. And I really hope to return to Samer's story on this podcast at a later date because his is an amazing story and I reckon he's somebody with a very bright future ahead of him. But given the quality of our connection with him on this occasion, I'm going to give the last word now to Carla as she describes in her own words why Samer is exactly the kind of role model and leader that young people in the country can look up to. I think in summer, they see someone who is always actively pursuing the good of others, um, but also developing himself and doing what he needs to do to become better, to do his best and to make his best better. Um, They see an example of someone who works across lots of different lines, to be honest. He's an ethnic Christian and a spiritual Christian, but he has a passion for working with Yazidis and Muslims and seeing the community come together. He works with other minorities um, and he does it so well in a way that is so inviting and inclusive that invites others to maybe try something they haven't done before or imagine a new way of of living. Um, That's for sure. So thank you to Carla and Samer for shedding a little light on the importance of good role models for young people. But we're going to go from Iraq now to Guatemala in Central America, where we're going to hear from this man. Yes, my name is Ivan or Ivan in in Spanish. Um, I am from Guatemala. I work here as a missionary, and um, uh, at the same time, I'm I'm social psychologist and clinical psychologist. And uh, my main work here in Guatemala is to create a su- more supportive network of ministries, churches, and local organizations to support youth. So Ivan helps equip church leaders to support young people in some really challenging circumstances in the country. And to help set the scene for you here, I'm going to quote from Ivan's recent article in Footsteps magazine in which he wrote about mental health in his country. And he said this, he says, Many young people are exposed to violence and crime from an early age, and this includes recruitment into armed gangs, domestic abuse and sexual and gender-based violence. Other pressures include unemployment and natural disasters. He then said the COVID-19 pandemic has made some of these problems worse. 
Sadly, some try to escape from reality through drug and alcohol use, compulsive video gaming, pornography and suicide. Many struggle with anxiety and depression, leading to lack of motivation and in some cases violence and unpredictable behaviour. He then went on to quote a boy who told him, We can get food and clothes, but what we need the most is more people believing in our dreams and believing that we can reach these dreams. And so I started by asking Ivan if his aim was to help churches do this. Some months ago, we launched a campaign uh, called You're Not Alone. And um, in in this campaign, uh, we sent this message, you are not alone in the in the social networks and um, and and we um, boosted from facebook in the different you know uh, groups in guatemala and some other countries as well in partnership with a local church in guatemala um in the it was amazing that in the first two days of the campaign we we got about 200 messages asking for help because of suicide thinking actually that was the goal of the of the campaign it's to you know to catch youth that were about to commit suicide and and helping them to you know linking them with some uh, greater support and trying to pass from the uh, crisis uh, to a more stable condition and uh, we realized that many of those youth, they were linked uh, in some in some manner with a local church. But this local church w- was not supporting them. They didn't feel a really good link with anyone in the church that they can trust to talk about this uh, very deep uh, and intense suicide impulse. So we remember um, uh, one boy and one girl particularly uh, that I worked with the, after the, the the campaign, we organized. We 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 noticed. We didn't expect the, that response from the youth at the first days. So we very quickly needed to make an appeal for psychologists that were Christians or counselors with with experience uh, that we can link with those youth to have a, a greater support. And I was working with with those two uh, youth. Um, it was a really uh, touching for me experience to notice how if they didn't send the message, if they didn't have this contact uh, with the support, uh, they will probably be, uh, be killing themselves because of the level of depression. Uh, there is not very robust public or mental mental health programs in Guatemala. Uh, I mean... There are some programs, and some of, of my friends are running these programs, but uh, the the the, le- the level of demand is not matching with the institutional capacity to respond uh, from depression, anxiety, panic attacks, uh, and some other mental uh, problems. Uh, we have many many uh, teenagers with a very complicated uh, problem of attention disorder that. They never uh, got a diagnosis about that, and they are dealing with many problems. You know, trying to uh, to 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 adjust themselves to the rules, and the churches are just uh, for them 
for some of them, they are just authorities that are trying to make them to fit in society, but not necessarily given the support they need. So this is this is one of the of many experiences we have had in Guatemala, and um, and, and we're still working with creating these bridges between the community and the church. Sadly, in Guatemala, even if the if um, the, the the most of population it's nominally Christians, uh, or at, at least they they say they have attended a church or they attend a church, uh, but when we see the level of uh, of exclusion, the level of violence, you can see that not many of them, they are actually uh, following Jesus in their, in their lifestyles. So many churches are full of youth that are actually dealing with suicide thinking, dealing with violence, with drug consumption. And we want the pastors to be aware of that, the government to work together in a common solution in the community uh, for those uh, youth, it's wonderful to see when you you, when, you know when you uh, remove the curtain and you see what is going on in these houses, the violence, sometimes uh, a, a background of sexual abuse, uh, sometimes a, a background of you know this sense of of shame of themselves that are really really um, limiting the possibilities of those youth of those youth to, to work ahead in their lives. And, uh, and many, many youth, they, they really want to talk with someone. It's uh, one of the, of the main problems in Guatemala City. If, if, even if you see many youth having many friends on Facebook or in uh, Instagram, people following them in Twitter, uh, they feel alone. And, and this, this loneliness, it's really deep. Even if they have, they are living in in a in a small room with eight people from the family, they feel that they are alone. They feel disconnected, non-attached to their uh, families, and this is something that is mainly an urban problem, more more than rural problem. But but it's really sad to see as well the 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 level of need they have to have someone to talk with. It doesn't matter if it's professional or not. It, it matters if it, if, it, if it has empathy or not. Uh, and that's why the pastors, uh, the leaders, you, we need to acknowledge that if, if they have a better uh, preparation, a better training in how to, how to be supportive as the front line of the, of the risk situation, they can make a huge difference. And of course, uh, we all the time, we, I, I trained pastors. I have trained last year, m- maybe uh, two, 200 pastors in emergency response and, uh, you know, how to counsel uh, in, a, in an emergency t- situation. And it's a relief for the pastors as well to have a tool in how to respond to that because they do want to, to support, but there are so many cultural, uh, uh, you know, uh, blocks uh, and, and, and walls to talk about suicide openly, uh, to acknowledge that a Christian person can deal with suicide thinking if they are uh, having a, a problem like depression. Um, so it's, it's hard for the, for, the, for the local culture to be more open to talk about those topics, uh, as, the same as, as sexual violence. But I think it's a, it's a great uh, um, hope 
to see people more open to, to, to get some help. That was Ivan in Guatemala on why he thinks the church has a huge role to play in supporting the mental health of young people where he lives. So you've now heard Vincent and Rachel in Kenya explain how talking groups can have a huge impact on young people, especially when there is patience and trust slowly built within those groups. You've also heard Carla and Samer in Iraq talk about the power of a good role model, especially one who has had first-hand experience of the same challenges that young people face. And Ivan in Guatemala has told us how simple training can equip faith leaders to help youth navigate through the temptations in society and to follow their dreams. And so finally, I wanted to ask each of these guests what advice they might have for you, our listeners, on some simple ways you can help to support the mental health of young people locally. And first of all, you're going to hear from Vincent in Kenya. This does take time, as, as Richard indicated, it does take time. But when it organically grows as, as you want it to, to grow, it, 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 it does accelerate at the end of the day because I gave a scenario there that when we started our psychosocial support groups, basically it was, it was, for, it was for, for their psychosocial well-being and also for business ventures. But when their confidence was built, they were able to coalesce themselves and organize themselves in a, in a manner uh, uh, as, an, uh, as a, a community-based organization. And they were then able uh, to, to champion issues around mental health in schools and also in, in workplaces. Brilliant. Thank you, Vincent. Um, Ivan, can I put the same question to you then? Are there any particular tips you would like to share with people? Yes. Um, I would like to highlight um, three main uh, roles that a church can play in this this challenge. Uh, The first one is helping uh, helping, um, uh, the uh, church members in, 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 in local programs to create more supportive community for the youth. Uh, that includes uh, detecting, being aware to detect uh, the problem very quickly uh, before the problem uh, be- be- becomes a, a crisis or, or you know, a, a worse situation. Uh, some, some, there are some signs that uh, churches can read uh, in the middle of the, of the daily activities uh, even if they are virtual, they can notice uh, particular messages of, uh, you know, the risk that could be detected if they have the, the training to do. Uh, secondly, a quick response, uh, doing a quick response to the youth, uh, so, uh, helping them, creating uh, a, a very, uh, you know, uh, mom, a very uh, good moment, uh, empathic moment to to talk. And, uh, and to some, get some guidelines uh, in referring the, uh, the youth to services, linking with some professional, linking with some uh, mental health programs or um, that could be very, um, very helpful for them and following the, the, the progress. It's, it's very important for the youth to have someone. I remember a, a youth that told me, it's really good that you called, you called me uh, after one year. We, sp- we, 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 we were talking um, and you were following me up. And, and it's really amazing to see that you are still, you still remember what we talk 
about and and that you are really interested to know how things are going now. And thank you very much. It's I, I didn't expect that he, he said. Uh, secondly, it's important to to be, to work in building a sense of belonging to the local community and to the church. Uh, if if youth has uh, if they have this kind of sense of belonging, if they feel like they belongs to the community in a stronger manner, if they think that they are actually part of a very active part of the church, um, that will make a huge difference in the way they respond to crises and to mental health uh, problems uh, because of this meaning of community that will uh, actually, uh, actually they, it, it will um, uh, give them the chance to have some social interaction that you know it's very healthy to have this social interaction even if you if you don't feel like to to interact with people but if you are depressed and you interact with the with the people it's it's uh um it's tested that you will feel better um if if you don't i mean if you have COVID, you need to rest in home stay in bed and don't do anything until you feel better but if you have depression you need to go out and do something else and be more active and reactivate the 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 uh, your body uh we 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 say the joke it's actually not a joke but we say that um for in, in the past the psychiatrists that they use it to do for depression is electroshock and putting a person in a in in an in, in a nice uh, uh, <laughs> place with with eyes so so they are like you know reset actually uh, and actually it, it actually working so I say the pastors don't do that with the youth please but but you need to help them to you know to move ahead uh, and. Uh, and, and thirdly, it's very important to help them to have a meaningful lives, uh, to, to discover what is beyond the crisis, what is beyond the pandemic, what is beyond the problems they are talking about. Uh, it's great to talk about these problems, but let's see. Uh, it's a more existential uh, topic uh, that the churches they have the power to work in these topics in a very strong manner. If a youth knows if if they discover um, a, a reason to keep alive um, uh, beyond of, of the problem they feel beyond of the pain uh, that will be really really powerful and uh, so if the church work in those three topics together with the community we can make a huge difference that's the experience we have in in Guatemala so interesting. Thanks, Ivan. Um, Carla. Yeah, um, my brain went to um, a lot of different things, and I think you could sum them up with the words people, purpose, and perpetuity. Um, if you want to help young people, help them connect with one another um, and help them connect with significant relationships, maybe in the next stage of life, people who will speak wisdom into them. Also help them to become people. Um, I'll say for me, working in cross-culturally in aid and development, I think I've become more human, <laughs> more compassionate, more empathic, more understanding of what it means to be a human. And I've seen through the groups that we've run, people learn to listen, they learn to forgive, they learn to grieve well, and it, it amounts to becoming better people, better humans. Um, 
purpose, that time has to be structured. It has to have purpose. So whether it's a basketball league or a cooking group or sewing group, carpentry, whatever it is, doing the activity in and of itself is a great thing, um, but it also needs some structure. It needs some good structured conversations. What does this mean to you? How do you feel loved? How do you feel cared for? How can you care for other people? Um, What's the hardest thing you've ever done? What are you most proud of? Having a purpose in that time and then also helping youth connect to a purpose. Yvonne, you said it. When we have a higher purpose, we're more resilient. Uh, when we know why we're suffering, when we know what we're working for, um, we're more able to endure what it takes to bring that about. So having a purpose, helping youth connect with their purpose in life. And then the other word that came to me is perpetuity. Um, youth today, um, many of them did suffer one event, but often they're in a state of tension, a state of stress, whether that's poverty, COVID, <laughs> the, the loss of someone who typically took care of a need for them, uncertainty. <laughs> um, there's this perpetuity of what they're suffering. And so they need those relationships and they need that purpose and perpetuity. And so I think psychosocial support groups are wonderful, um, but if they last longer than a few weeks, it gets real boring. <laughs> um, so things like basketball, sports, activities, sewing, crafting, cooking, whatever it might be, things that can go on and on and on and continue to develop skills and be enjoyable. Um, we, we need that during COVID and youth who are in uncertain situations and who are facing a status of being in tension or in stress need that perpetual support. And so those are the things that came to mind. And um, thanks to those who answered before me, because I think you helped craft my thoughts. <laughs> and thanks, Carla. And Rachel? Okay, so um, for me, I would say that, uh, first of all, all we need to know is that uh, mental health is health. Without mental health, then we are unable to function in any other way. Yeah? So we need to appreciate our, our mental health. And uh, second thing I would say that uh, if you are undergoing something that you don't understand... Please ask for help. Just ask for help. Ask, 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 ask for help. And when you get to, to, to ask for help, then you get to to get you get to uh, you get to get help. You know, you're helped at the end of it all. So, as a youth or a person who is uh, suffering from mental health or psychosocial disabilities, and especially during the first first days of the whole thing like a circus you don't understand what you're going through so if you don't understand please ask and also to the person who is asked listen just listen you know we all want to be listened to and when you listen you get to understand more what that person is 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 going through you get you get to to think about it and you get to give to give uh, informed uh, answers or information, you know. So we all want to be listened to. So I would say that uh, when as the support that the child has could be the church, it could be the community, it could be your mom, your dad, anyone. When they listen to you, when you feel listened, you begin to to recollect. Yeah, you begin to recollect and and, and seek help. And when you when you when you feel that nobody cares, nobody is listening to you, 
you just want to go and 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 go you know they just move and go you know you you will go to those places that now are not good for you anymore so listen ask for help and mental health is tough we need to take care of our health so there you heard Vincent and Rachel from Kenya, Ivan from Guatemala, and Carla from the USA. And of course, you also heard from Samer in Iraq. And that's almost it for this episode. Before we go, I'll say what I normally say at this point in the show, which is this. You can catch up on previous episodes of How to Build Community on our SoundCloud page or in your podcast player. Just search How to Build Community Aruka Network. And Aruka is spelt A-R-U-K-A-H. You can help support this show by making a small monthly donation on our Patreon page. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. You can learn more about Aruka on the website arukanetwork.org. You can learn more about Tier Fund Footsteps on the website learn.tierfund.org. And finally, if you have some feedback on this show or you might have suggestions for future interviewees, then you can reach me via email jake at arukanetwork.org. But that's it from me. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>